Psalm 36. An oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked person. Dread of God has no effect on him, for with his flattering opinion of himself, he does not discover and hate his iniquity. The words from his mouth are malicious and deceptive. He has stopped acting wisely and doing good. Even on his bed, he makes malicious plans. He sets himself on a path that is not good, and he does not reject evil. Lord, your faithful love reaches to heaven, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains, your judgments like the deepest sea. Lord, you preserve people and animals. How priceless your faithful love is, God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They are filled from the abundance of your house. Let them drink from your refreshing stream, for the wellspring of life is with you. By means of your light, we see light. Spread your faithful love over those who know you and your righteousness over the upright in heart. Do not let the foot of the arrogant come near me or the hand of the wicked drive me away. There, the evildoers have fallen. They have been thrown down and cannot rise. Good afternoon, everybody. Wow. That was unexpectedly good. Good job, guys. Okay, let's go ahead and start off by praying. Father, however we feel like our week has gone, our day has gone, or our life is going, we are in need of your grace. We are in need of your saving. And we are in need of something better than what we have here and now. I pray that you would give good news to us today through your word in Psalm 36. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to start off today by setting an expectation. And that expectation is this. Whenever you go to church, I want you to know, and I want you to know this, especially if this isn't your home church, I, I want to tell you especially Whenever you go to church, I want you to know that you should be hearing good news for real life. When you come to church, you should be hearing good news for real life. Often we go to church and we hear good advice. And I want to remind you that good advice is good, but it's not the same thing as good news. And you need to hear good news. Often we go to church and we hear good speakers. As the person standing in front of you right now, I'm especially invested in you understanding that while good speakers are good, good speakers are not the same as good news, and what you need is good news. So I'm covered. Often we go to church and we get good tools that we can use, and I want you to know that good tools are not the same thing as good news. And what you need is good news. And so I want to address this right away because you may have noticed that our psalm today starts off pretty bleak. It starts off by telling us that this is going to be a psalm about the transgression of the wicked person. And you may be wondering, how is this going to be good news? Well, it is. This is where we need to lean into the fact that we need good news 
for real life, okay? Good news for real life. Our lives are full of wickedness and they're full of wicked people. And if we want to hear good news for real life, we need to hear good news that is willing to name the ugly things that all of us experience. This is exactly the kind of good news that we're going to hear from Psalm 36. So think about this. Have you ever been wronged by somebody? Have you ever been in a situation that was not only unjust, but that left you feeling powerless? You see, when people experience harm by the hand of another person, whatever the nature of that harm, it, it makes trust difficult as a result. And yet, here's the thing. We cannot get away from needing to exercise trust in this life. Although trusting the wrong person may have been painful for us in the past, no matter what happens, we cannot stop needing outside help. And what this can feel like in a bad situation is being stuck between a rock and a hard place. Trust is necessary, but trust is also often scary. And today, God is telling us good news. It's not the good news that we don't have to trust anymore, that we can become self-sufficient. Instead, it's the good news that there's someone stronger than wicked people who are in the world, and that this person is good, and that he is worthy of our trust, and he will overcome them. That's, that's our message for today. The wicked are blind and deceitful, but God is faithful and worthy of our faith. So our text Today is a psalm about three different people. These people are the wicked, God, and the upright. And so that gives us a very simple outline. It goes like this. Point one, what the wicked are like. Point two, what God is like. Point three, what the upright are like. And the first person described here is the wicked person. So we have to ask ourselves the question, what are the wicked like? Well, let's see what it says here in verse 2. It says about the wicked, With his flattering opinion of himself, he does not discover and hate his iniquity. With his flattering opinion of himself, he does not discover and hate his iniquity. So what are the wicked like? Here's one thing they're like. He flatters himself. And so he's blind to his evil nature. He flatters himself, and so he's blind to his evil nature. And, and let's get real with ourselves here. It's really hard to look at our own wickedness, isn't it? It's really hard to do. What's easier to do than that? It's much easier emotionally for us to change the subject. All of us have our own strategies for doing this. But it's much easier emotionally for us to change the subject when we come up against our wickedness, when we see it. And one way that we tend to distract ourselves from sin is by focusing on and inflating our own virtues. We say, look at all these good parts of me. And if, it was a, if, if our virtues were a fish, it would be really appropriate because if the fish was this big, we say they're this big, right? We distract ourselves from our wickedness by focusing on our virtues and inflating them. That's what it means when it says 
The wicked person flatters himself and therefore does not discover his iniquity. You know, you, you may have heard this very often. You may have said this. When people get called out, what's the first thing they often say? Yeah, I did that, but I'm not a bad person. What's the next thing they say? They list all the reasons they think they're good. With his flattering opinion of himself, he does not discover and hate his iniquity. It makes him blind. But don't let the term wicked here fool you. This happens all the time with religious people. All the time. Maybe even more than outside of the church. Look at all the moral posturing in our conversations. Look at how we talk when we're talking about them. When we do that, who are we building up? Who are we tearing down? We're always building up ourselves and we're always tearing down somebody else. Because the only way that we can feel good about ourselves as sinful people is to compare ourselves to some other sinful person and to use a funhouse mirror that changes things to make us look the way we want to look in comparison to this person, making them look worse than they actually are. This happens all the time with religious people. It's easy to feel good about yourself when you compare yourself to other people, but pay attention to the shape of this psalm. We're going to find that God does not compare people to people in this psalm. He doesn't say first, here's what the wicked are like and here's what the upright are like. He makes a totally different comparison. So, so look out for that and pay attention. We compare ourselves to other. God, God does something else. God doesn't compare people to people. He has a wholly different standard for us than the one that we tend to give ourselves. And furthermore, we should care about the result of this type of flattery. We should care about what it leads to. You would think that the warning here would be that this flattery that the wicked person engages in makes a person bad. To do that, they would have to not be bad already. It doesn't talk about making the wicked person bad, does it? It doesn't say that. David tells us that the sort of flattery that the wicked engage in doesn't make him bad. It makes him blind. It makes him blind to what's really there. Now, here, here's the thing. None of us want to look at our own wickedness. But, but let me ask you this. Do you want to be blind to your wickedness? Do you want it to be there without you seeing it? Or do you want to see it so you can repent, experience grace through forgiveness, and experience grace through God changing your heart and your life? Do you want to be blind to your wickedness and have it continue to reap destruction on your heart and your world? Or do you want to see it and have the grace of repentance? We cannot experience grace if we refuse to see ourselves as people in need of grace. And all of us are people in need of grace. What else is the wicked person like? He is blind to his evil nature, so his mouth becomes destructive. Let's look at verse 3. It says this, The words from his mouth are malicious and deceptive. He has stopped acting wisely and doing good. The words of his mouth are malicious and deceptive. He's blind to his evil nature, and as a result, his mouth becomes destructive. 
if you watch reality TV, I mean, this, isn't, this is going to sound strange to you that people's mouths could be destructive, right? But, but the rest of us know um, that, yeah, that can happen. No, of course. That's, I mean, that's what we see in television. That's what we see in music. That's what we see in our own relationships. And that's what we see coming out of our own mouths, don't we? He is blind to his evil nature, so his, ma- so his mouth becomes destructive. And here's the thing. God gave us words. God gave us words. They can misfire. We can speak unclearly. And even when we speak clearly, we can be misheard. But words can also tell the truth. That's what they were made for. Words can tell the truth. And they can communicate in ways that connect us to each other profoundly. And they allow us to talk about wonderful things like God and meaning and stories. Words have this ability to connect us to things that are so far above us and beyond us. It makes words so unique and it makes people so unique. But language is a tool that requires skill on this part of the speaker and skill on the part of the listener. And this tool, when used skillfully, is powerful to accomplish great things. It can access the heavens. But this tool, when used skillfully and sinfully, is powerful to accomplish bad things. Have you ever had someone use language to change your mind about something you experienced? Was this to the speaker's advantage? Was it to your detriment? Did this experience put you in a vulnerable position? This is called manipulation. It's powerful. It's destructive. And words are the tool we use to do it. Have you ever used words in this way yourself? God gave us words to tell the truth but they're powerful to accomplish other purposes as well, purposes that he did not intend. Someone ever spoken to you in a way that hurt you deeply? I imagine most of us have come in here carrying wounds that were caused by words. Words can be malicious. Words can deceive. And the wicked person is prone to using words in order to deceive and to cause harm. So it's another point about the wicked person. He's blind to his evil nature. And so he uses his mouth maliciously. What else do we see about the wicked? We see that he's blind to his evil nature, and so he cannot fear justice. He's unable to fear justice. Look at verses 1 and 2. Okay, so the end of verse 1 says this, dread of God has no effect on him. It it doesn't say that dread of God doesn't touch him. It doesn't say he has no experience with dread of God. It says that for the wicked person, dread of God has no effect on him. Why? Well, notice that verse 2 starts with the word for. It tells you why. For his flattering, with his flattering opinion of himself, he does not discover and hate his iniquity. It brings us back to the beginning. The first thing that David tells us about the wicked is that the dread of God has no effect on him and that the result of this is that he's blind to his own sin. Consider what Jesus has to say about fear. There are very, very few things Jesus wants us to be afraid of. He speaks against fear over and over and over again. But look at what he says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. He says, 
Don't fear those who kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both the body and the soul in hell. The wicked person is at an amazing disadvantage because he is willfully blind to his own sin. And so when he comes up against the holiness of God, he has no chance of fearing and no chance of repenting. He flatters himself and he puffs himself up. And this is to his own destruction. He does not want to receive grace. The wicked person has a complete malfunction in this very important area because the sin functioning in his heart has made him so disconnected from himself that he's blind to the presence of sin in his own heart. And as a result, what effect could the dread of God have on him? Paul tells us even more about this phenomenon. We, we think that unbelief is typically an intellectual issue. I can't get behind God because, because I know so, so much about science. I can't get behind God because I know so much about psychology. I can't get behind God because my philosophy doesn't allow for it. What, is, what does the Bible say? In Romans 1.18, Paul says this, God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So it's been revealed. It can be seen. And the wicked person sees it and it can't have any effect on him because he thinks he rocks. The wicked suppress the truth through unrighteousness. And I think that's what we're seeing here in Psalm 36. It's not a lack of knowledge. It's not a lack of intelligence. But it's a blindness because of sin. It's sin that's blinded the wicked person. The wicked push away any meaningful awareness of their sin. So the wrath of God against ungodliness has no effect on them. They do not change. The dread of God has no effect on them for their flattering opinion of themselves keeps them from ever even discovering their own iniquity. It, it's almost like this flattering opinion of the wicked person is serving a purpose, isn't it? But, but here's the question. And if you find yourself fighting against repentance, fighting against accusation, here's the question. Whose purpose is being served in their blindness? Whose purpose is being served in the wicked person's inability to see their own sin? If you ask me, it's not the interest of the wicked person. The wicked person is left in danger because of this. If you ask me, the wicked person has the possibility of repenting and being saved if they saw things differently. If you ask me, it's the interest of sin itself being served by this situation and the interest of the enemy of righteousness, the devil. So that's what the wicked is like. What else is he like? He's drawn to wickedness by default. He's drawn to wickedness by default. Um, in, in other translations, I, I'm about 10 years behind in Hebrew school to be able to figure out why they do one way versus the other. But in other translations, instead of David saying it's an oracle within his heart concerning the transgression of the wicked person, um, it's translated as trespass speaks to the wicked person deep in his heart. And I don't know which one is right, but however you translate this first verse, that's the story that this psalm is telling. 
Trespass speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. His heart resonates with sin. And he's drawn to wickedness by default. Look at verse 4. It says this, Even on his bed, he makes malicious plans. He sets himself on a path that is not good. He does not reject evil. In verse 4, the final point that we see about the wicked person is that he is meditating on evil, even in his bed. And so, so what should we take away from this? So, so let me ask you something. Think about those last moments of each day as you sit in bed. None of us fall asleep instantly, do we? It, don't raise your hand if you do. I will immediately resent you. I don't think anybody falls asleep immediately. <laughs> we can make up later. Okay. Um, but let me ask you this. In those moments, what do you think about before you go to sleep? Is that a time where you've got an agenda? You're saying, well, here are the things that I would like to plan. Or, or are these final thoughts that you have before you drift off to sleep, are these simply thoughts that just kind of happen to you? Are these thoughts that your brain throws at you? We all meditate and we all ruminate in our beds but we don't do so intentionally most of the time. The thoughts that come up when we lay down our heads at the end of the day, when we close our eyes, these are the thoughts that we're drawn to. They reveal something about us. They reveal something about what's really going on in our minds and what's really going on in our hearts. The wicked person is making malicious plans in his bed, not because he's so committed to hustle culture, that he wants to make sure he has a productive, wicked day tomorrow. He's doing it because that's the default mode of his heart. When he lets go, that's what happens. It's what his mind does when he lets it run free. So he makes wicked plans on his bed. And, and if you put all these things together, here's the overall picture. He crumbles into himself. The wicked man crumbles into himself. It's like, have you ever seen one of those buildings of a skyscraper that, or one of those videos of a skyscraper that's, that's sort of run its course? And people who understand explosives way better than I ever will somehow make it fall right into itself. It doesn't go anywhere else. That's, that's kind of what we see the wicked person doing here, isn't it? He crumbles into himself. The wicked person's heart is drawn to sin. And as a result, he's obsessed with himself. He flatters himself. And yet he's a deceiver. And the primary thing he's deceived about is who he really is. Ultimately, rather than growing into the world to flourish and to bring about flourishing like God made him to do, he crumbles into himself. And the wicked man should scare us for two reasons. The first reason, I think the primary intent of this psalm, is that it's the wickedness of men that causes our deepest and most significant pain in life. I think David is mostly giving this psalm to God's people to sing when they're hurt by the wickedness that's outside of them. And so, so wicked... The wicked man should scare us because it's the wickedness of men that cause our deepest and most significant pain in life. 
But there's another reason why the wicked man should scare us. It's because the wicked man looks a lot like you. And the wicked man looks a lot like me. If you don't see that second point, according to the terms of this psalm, it makes you look more like the wicked person, not less. What is the wicked person like? He is blind to his own wickedness. He doesn't see it. So what is the wicked man like? He's deceived. When it comes down to it, the wicked man is deceived. And so what, what are we to do when we suffer under this world's wickedness? The, the truth is that as Americans, we value independence. We value ingenuity really strongly as our culture. That's, that's sort of a hallmark of American culture. And it's often a really, really good thing. But it, it, leaves, us, it leaves us thinking, you know what you should do? You should work with what you've got. And most of our heroes find some sort of way to work with what they've got. They just MacGyver their way through life. And, and here's a question. Does God want us to MacGyver with the wickedness in the world? Does he want us to look at the wickedness in the world and say, this is what I'm working with? Got to make some good out of it. He does not. I'm not saying that's a bad value we have as our culture, I think is a really good and productive value to look at what's in front of us and say, hey, what can we make? That's not what we should do with wickedness. It's not our job to make good out of wickedness. That's God's job. We're not capable. We are in need of salvation in light of wickedness, whether it's outside or inside. That's the situation we're in. And so now David changes gears so if this is what the wicked one is like, what remedy should we compare the wicked person to, right? I asked you guys to, to pay attention to the shape of this psalm. What remedy should we compare the wicked person to? Should we compare him to the righteous person? What we see is that God is the antithesis of the wicked. It's God who is the antithesis of the wicked. The wicked is blinded by sin, crumbles into himself as he causes harm to his world. And when we look out into the world and see wickedness, when we look into our hearts and see wickedness, we need to know that God is not like us and he's not asking us to make the most of it. He offers us hope. God is not like us, who's deceived and deceiving and malicious and causes harm. He is worthy of our trust, and he's good. God is worthy of our trust, and he is good, and he's offering himself to us to be trusted in his goodness. So let's look at what David says about God as the antithesis of the wicked. What is God like? The first thing he's like that we see here is, is he loves faithfully. God loves faithfully. And while the wicked thinks about himself, flatters himself, and speaks maliciously and deceptively, God loves faithfully. Look at verse 5. Lord, your faithful love reaches to the heavens and your faithfulness to the clouds. Look at verse 7. 
How priceless your faithful love is, God. Look at verse 10. Spread your faithful love over those who know you and your righteousness over the upright in heart. God loves faithfully, and we need to know that God loves faithfully because we know all too well that the wicked deceive maliciously to great effect. We need to know that God loves faithfully. He's not a fair-weather friend. He doesn't love when it benefits him. God loves faithfully, even when it costs him. The most famous verse in the whole Bible is John 3.16. And um, one, one verse I know the CSB gets right, even though I haven't studied Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic, is John 3.16. It, it says, this is how God loved the world. He gave his only son. If you want to know whether or not God can love you when it doesn't benefit him, look at how he loves. He loves in the context of giving his only son. This is the biggest loss he could have ever had. God loves faithfully, even when it costs him greatly. This is good news for us. What else is God like? We're told that he blesses and he protects. God blesses and he protects. Look at verse six. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains. Your judgment like the deepest sea. Lord, you preserve people and animals. Look at verse seven. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Look at verse eight. They are filled from the abundance of your house, and you let them drink from your refreshing stream. Look at verse 9. By means of your light, we see light. While the wicked man causes harm to the people in his life, God blesses and protects his creation. He preserves people and animals. People take refuge in the shadow of his wings. God fills people with, a, with his abundance and they drink from his stream. He's the source of life and he is the light by which we see. God blesses and protects. The wicked are blind because they reject righteousness. And ultimately the wicked are blind because they reject God who is righteousness. To the extent that any of us see, how do we see? We see by the light that God gives. God blesses and protects. And importantly, we should know when David's talking about this in this psalm, these are not special blessings for God's people. These are the blessings that God gives to all sorts of people through what we call common grace. The wicked and the upright are both breathing. The wicked and the upright can both eat. It can still taste good. It, it's not like a delicious steak becomes delicious after you're born again. You're like, wow, I never knew. No, it's not like that. Common grace exists and all of these blessings, the blessing of life, the blessing of any protection any of us have ever experienced, the blessing of any good thing, the blessing of anything you've ever seen has come from the hand of God. But this is a temporary situation. So we look again into the book of Romans, chapter 2. We start in verse 4. Here's what it says. 
Or do you despise the riches of God's kindness, restraint, and patience? All right, here we go. (laughs) Do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Because of your hardened and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed. Everybody right now, to some degree or another, is experiencing the kindness of God. And the kindness of God is beckoning, repent, 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 come and know my love. The kindness of God is asking us to repent and receive his grace forever. But many refuse to recognize this because of their sin. And as a result, they bring about the opposite outcome as they refuse the purpose of God's grace while gladly receiving his gifts. God blesses everyone. Nobody gets out of life without blessing from God. He doesn't discriminate. Whatever good any of us experience, it comes from him by grace. Another thing that we need to see about God is that he is righteous. God is righteous. Look at verse 6. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains. Your judgments like the deepest sea. So while the wicked makes malicious plans and does not reject evil, God is righteous, and his righteousness is enormous. He has this enormous righteousness. It's like the highest mountains, and his righteous judgments are like the deepest seas. God is righteous. This is the one who loves faithfully. It's a righteous God. Another thing we see about God is that his goodness cannot be contained. His goodness cannot be contained. Look at verses 5 and 8. Verse 5 says, Lord, your faithful love reaches to the heavens and your faithfulness to the clouds. Verse 8 says, They are filled from the abundance of your house, and you let them drink from your refreshing stream. The goodness of God, it goes everywhere. While the wicked, they implode on themselves in wickedness, the goodness of God spreads out and goes everywhere to the point of him loving the world by sending his only son to die. It goes everywhere. It goes to the heavens. It goes to the seas. He's an abundant God with a house that overflows on creation to bless it. This is not a God who made the world because he was lonely and wanted a friend. This is a God who is full and content, filled with love in his satisfaction in the Trinity, and his fullness overflowed, and that's where we came from, and that's where every blessing we have comes from. Ultimately, what is God like? What is God like? He is faithful. God is faithful. The wicked are deceiving and deceived. God is faithful. So once David has shown us how starkly God's faithfulness contrasts with the character of the the wicked, 
he moves on to one last type of person. The third person in this psalm is the upright in heart. So what are the upright like? Rather than describe the characteristics of the upright, actually David makes pleas to God on their behalf. And this is significant. This is a very significant thing. Remember I said that good advice is not the same thing as good news. This is borne out in how David describes the upright. To understand what the upright are like, we don't look first to their character. Instead, we look first to the way they relate to God. Who are the upright? What are they like? Look at verse 10 through 12. They're covered in God's faithful love. They're covered in God's righteousness. They're protected from the wicked. Not from any effect the wicked could ever have on them. I mean, read the Bible. If you believed that, if you believed that any effect that wickedness could have on you is never going to happen, you got to throw your Bible away. But ultimately, they will be delivered. They are protected from the wicked. The wicked will not cause their souls to go down to death forever. In every verse, David shows the upright in heart, not as heroes of the faith, but as recipients of God's faithfulness. Let me say that again. In every verse, David shows the upright, not as heroes of the faith, but as recipients of God's faithfulness. So what's the difference between the upright and the wicked? Consider the answer Jesus gave in Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. It says this, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. He said this, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went to the house, to, went to his house justified rather than the other. Because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The tax collector was not the hero of the story when Jesus told it. Centuries earlier, the upright was not the hero of the story when David wrote this psalm. God is the hero. That's how you define the upright in heart. God is the hero. The upright is saved The upright is the one who leans on God and therefore benefits from God's righteousness. Honestly, that's the only difference between the upright and the wicked. The upright is the one who's wicked, but who is saved by God. And so while the wicked and God are defined by their character and their actions, see, here's what the wicked person does. Here's what God does. That's how we understand who they are. 
the upright instead are defined by God's actions on our behalf. We don't look at our behavior and say, look at me. We look at God's actions on our behalf and we say, that's who I am. He made me who I am. In his time of need, when his enemies seem to prevail or when his sin seems to prevail, he can look at his hero and he can trust that it is the goodness of God and the righteousness of God which will win out in the end. Ultimately, here's how we know this to be true. While the wicked person flatters himself, Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself low and submitted himself to death on a cross for our good. While the wicked person deceives himself, Jesus is the truth that sets us free. While the wicked person is blind, Jesus gives sight. While the wicked person makes malicious plans on his bed, Jesus stayed up all night in prayer before he went to the cross to die for us, his enemies. While the wicked person destroys the world as he crumbles into himself, Jesus gave himself to destruction to love the world as he died on the cross. While the wicked person threatens our joy, threatens our safety, threatens our future, Jesus defeated the wicked person's power when he overcame death in the resurrection. This is what David knew when he wrote verse 12 of this psalm, but we know it better. The evil will fall and they will not rise. That's the hope that David wants his people to have. The evil will fall. They will not rise. Are you an evildoer? Jesus fell on your behalf. But Jesus rose again. Trust in him. You will share in his resurrection on the final day. The destruction of evildoers is coming. It's so certain that it is as good as done. David says, the evildoers will fall. Or no, he doesn't say that. He says, the evildoers have fallen. They have been thrown down and they cannot rise. The truth is, all of us here are both like the wicked and like those suffering because of the wicked. Actually, we're not just like those people. We are those people. We're both of those people. When we look around today, we can see that God is offering all types of people everywhere, protection, food, water. He's giving us sustaining blessings from his storehouse. So if you, like me, see yourself in the descriptions of the wicked in this psalm, and yet long for restoration, salvation, lean into the goodness of your Father through his Son, Jesus Christ. He's overcome and paid for sin. When he comes again, he will remove his grace from the wicked, and he's going to give it in full to all who have trusted in Christ. It's the upright who receive blessing. It's the upright who will be delivered from the wicked. The evildoers will be thrown down and they will not rise. The upright is nothing more than the one who knows God and trusts God. They're not called upright because of their obedience, but because of Christ's obedience. 
Would you trust in Christ? Would you join me in looking forward to his coming? And as you look forward in hope, rather than aligning your faith around the needs that you feel in your life, would you align your life around the hope that you have in Christ? What he's done, what he is doing, what he will do. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.